This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cutmore, and we're joined by Dennis Webster. How you doing, Dennis? Great. How are you today? Okay. Uh, Dennis Webster and I have uh, cooperated on some uh, uh, book-selling adventures, if you will. He lives in the Utica area, the Mohawk Valley of central New York. He's the author of Haunted Mohawk Valley and Wicked Mohawk Valley, contributes uh, to the anthology Adirondack Mysteries, and he's uh, written a novel, Daisy Daring and the Quest for the Loomis Gang. He's got something that's really interesting to me. I think it's interesting to anybody who lives in the Mohawk Valley or or central New York. The story is uh, titled as follows, Old Maine, New York State Lunatic Asylum in Utica, New York. It's published by North Country Books. It's uh, out uh, this year. Uh, How did you come to write about uh, Old Maine? Well, uh, the building still stands in Utica. It was built in 1843, and anyone that drives by it is mesmerized by uh, the look of the structure. It has a Greek Doric portico with these massive columns that just draws you in. And last summer, the Historical Society opens up for a tour, and about 5,000 people stood in line to, to get inside that building. Indeed. And as I say, the the legacy, or whatever you want to call it, of Old Maine reverberates far beyond Utica. I was talking with my uh, colleague uh, Dave Green of Eastline Studio. I mean, he grew up in Syracuse. I grew up in uh, Amsterdam. And w- when we were kids, I mean, it was a you know politically incorrect thing. People would always threaten to send you to Utica, meaning to the uh, to the asylum, the mental health asylum. Yes, uh, actually, when Old Main opened in 1843, it was the first asylum in the state of New York. Uh, uh, before then, people that had mental disabilities were tend to be shunned, locked away, chained in basements, thrown in almshouses that, with no uh, good food or clothing. It, it was a it was a stark way of life. Well, I'm glad you you brought that up because I mean the intentions certainly were were grand or good uh, with the opening of this uh, facility in Utica. Do you know why they it it happened in Utica? Well, originally it was supposed to go into a place called, I hope I pronounced this right, Watervillette, New York, which was... Oh, that's it, uh, Dennis, that's Watervillette, sorry to be pretentious. And it, it, um, for some reason, they tried negotiating with a farmer, it fell through, so they they tended, the only thing I read is they really liked the location because the Erie Canal and the Shenango Canal were were in close proximity, plus there was a rail line. And it, and it was up on a hill, so the it was a very picturesque, but also easy to get to from all points of the state by water or rail. Mm. And it's the first uh, mental in- asylum in New York State, the second in the nation. So uh, New York, of course, especially at the time, New York was a you know a leader in in many things in in America uh, back in the eighteen uh, hundreds, but. Uh, it, it's kind of remarkable. I mean, this was really uh, early on in a more uh, humane treatment of people with mental illness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, the first superintendent, uh, Dr. Brigham, he, he brought forth what was called moral treatment. And it started in France with Pennell in the late 18th century and then brought to our shores by uh, um, Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was one of the... Uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence and a very well-known doctor. 
Uh, and what moral treatment was was that you could, you felt that mental illness could be cured, that insanity could be, you know, made a better life. So in the asylum in Utica, they had occupations. Uh, they wore clean clothing that they pressed every day. Um, they had religion as part of their life. It was a very structured life, like a shaker principle kind of, you know, you ate at certain times, you did activities at certain times. This was revolutionary. It was the first of its kind in the United States. And Brigham actually took it a step further than Benjamin Rush and Pinnell, where he also had the arts and humanities. They wrote and published publications. The, the patients did. They, they, uh, they had a stage. They performed plays. They had an asylum band. So it was like try to have a more fulfilling, mentally healthful life. Mm. Well, it's interesting you bring up uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush. I was just uh, reading uh, David uh, McCullough's uh, biography of John Adams, uh, which you know came out many years ago. But uh, by, uh, I was reading it, and he, uh, Rush, and Adams were great friends. And uh, Rush was really a remarkable individual in terms of physical medicine. He he was kind of behind the times, or uh, he he practiced uh, bloodletting, which was uh, something that maybe didn't help as much as doctors then thought it would. But I was surprised to read that that Rush had to. You know, like two lives. I mean, he really was very active politically, but he he's considered the the founder of uh, of American psychiatry. Correct. Yeah, I mean, he was and he was part of the start of at the time what they called the cult of curability, and Brigham was his number one pupil, and he brought this to this because remember when this asylum opened in Utica, everybody in the state of New York, including Amsterdam area, Syracuse, you name it, New York City, they they were brought to. The asylum, it was a catch-all. That, that was the only thing that I would say that was a little bit of a, a... They had to change it in the 1850s because the criminally insane were placed in there also. Eventually, in the 1850s, they built an asylum for the criminally insane in Auburn, New York, and then, you know, your homicidal maniac-type people would go there. So they wouldn't be mixing in with people with mental other mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell You know, you mentioned Dr. Amariah Brigham. I mean, apparently he... Uh, led the facility, the the uh, Utica, the hospital for for mental illness. Uh, all I you, you sent me that he was born in 1798. Where had he uh, come from? Where did he live? Uh, he was from originally New England area, and he came to Utica. Um, he had a vast experience before he stepped in Utica to run the facility. Uh, and actually, he they had a print shop in the asylum, and he uh, wrote, edited printed at the asylum and distributed the American Journal of Insanity, which eventually was renamed the American Journal of Psychiatry, and it's still in publication today. It's the longest-running journal of its kind. And, and uh, I, Dr. Bergman well, is just a fascinating man. And I know uh, from what you sent me about this that Dr. Brigham, uh, I mean, the, the facility opened in 1843. He died shortly after that, I mean, or he died in 1849. Yeah, so he only ran the place for a very short time. Um, and uh, it was interesting because the doctors, like Dr. Benedict, succeeded him for a short time. And then Dr. Gray, after him, was a 40-year superintendent of the facility. And they tended, they built upon the moral treatment that he started there. And eventually, uh, the lunatic asylum in Utica was called the mother of all institutions because doctors from all over the world in the United States would come there and watch how did they treat the patients what was the care that they had, and then they would replicate that the methodology into their own asylums that were being built in many states um, all around the world. 
One controversial technique that they developed, or it was honestly a piece of equipment, and I don't know if Dr. Brigham brought it about or, or one of his successors, it was something called the Utica Crib. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the Utica Crib, which was invented by Dr. Brigham, Again, the one thing that the Utica uh, Asylum did not have is chains. Uh, I've read in some of the uh, annals of history, the annual reports from the board of directors, they're very proud that no chains were in there, but they had to do something with the people that were the most manic. The, um, and it was a device that was basically like a baby's crib, but for an adult. But picture this, it had a lid on it, a locking lid. So you'd lay flat on your back. It was so tight, you could not turn around, you could not move. So it locked you into this crib device which at the time, from what I read, they felt it was a humane piece of equipment, but within 30, 40 years, it was outlawed. They never used it again. And now in our modern age, we look back and people think, oh, my God, that's so brutal. But at the time, it's almost like when you look in the early 20th century when they discovered electroshock therapy. The people at the time are thinking that it's the best treatment. So Dr. Brigham thought that this device was helpful. And mm. come to find out, it really wasn't. Uh, and if you go online and Google it, it's a pretty uh, scary-looking thing to be locked inside of. Indeed. Another event from the early years of uh, the hospital, again, we're talking with Dennis Webster about his book, Old Main, a New York State Lunatic Asylum in, uh, in Utica, New York. Um, Dr. Brigham passed away in 1849, and then there was a major fire at the facility in 1852? Yeah, this ca caused a great controversy because the gentleman that started the fire was an arsonist who was sent up from New York City. And uh, Dr. Gray was the um, superintendent at the time uh, in the 1850s. And he, the gentleman was considered cured. And he ended up having a job at the asylum. And they actually gave him a set of keys. He was a maintenance man. And from what I read in their history annals, um, he got upset because Dr. Gray spoke to him in a stern manner, quote-unquote. And he went up into the attic with a candle and started a fire. And uh, it, one fireman from Utica actually died. His name was uh, William Cressford. He was with engine, U.S. Utica Engine Number no. 7. And then a Dr. Rose also passed away, trying to save the valuable items inside. The interesting thing was is that all the people from Utica rushed to put out that fire um, and they had fire units come from Little Falls and from Rome, New York, and they actually put their firefighting equipment on train cars and brought the train, you know, ro rolled the rail cars to the bottom of the hill, and they had to pump the water up from the Erie Canal. Um, mm. But they were very fortunate that only two people died, and they actually saved the asylum. But this man ended up being committed for the rest of his life for, uh, aside, you know, for insanity, but... Yeah, it, there was a big editorial in the New York Times about it that, you know, how dare they let this guy out. See, the moral treatment isn't working. Mm. It, it, almost, it sounds like a modern story in a way, doesn't it? You know, when uh, someone's released from prison, let's say, or, uh, or an institution and then does uh, violence to others. But they, right. but they rebuilt. I mean, that, that didn't right. stop uh, the, the use of Old Main. Well, you know, a lot of people like to make, you know, I don't want to say criticize government, but there are some things that the government is good at and necessary for. And the New York State Legislature had appropriated the money to build that facility, and it was a big success. And they kept appropriating more money to expand it and improve it. They, they, they gave the money to rebuild the burnt-out part, 
but then they also did advancements as they moved along, like gas lighting, um, steam heat, because they actually had a bunch of wood-burning stoves when it first opened to heat it, and just improvements like that until, you know, the facility closed in 1978. But um, by that time, you know, the building was just so old and run down, it would cost too much to refurbish it, so they removed the other facilities. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the part of the story of the treatment of mental illness, I mean, after Old Main starts in 1843, there must have been other facilities built. I don't know how soon it was, but, you know, eventually yeah. in other parts yeah, of New York the, State. Yeah, uh, Willard, which is near the uh, Finger Lakes, is I think is considered the largest asylum ever built in New York State. Very large structure. It's still there. Uh, it draws the same amount of fascination. Um and curiosity from people as Old Main does, as the, the Lunica Asylum at Utica. But uh, then little ones just started popping up, you know, as, as mental health care became a little more specialized, you know, as we got into the 20th century, you got where people would work with just blindness or they would work with people with cerebral palsy or they would, you know, things like that. I mean, the Moral Treatment Foundation is still around today. It's just in a different format. Mm-hmm. But when... Uh Old Main uh, ended its its life as a, a treatment facility, which I think you said was 1978. It operated right. 135 years. I mean, by then, what wasn't uh, by ni- the late 1970s? Wasn't that the time that it, the uh, I don't know, not incarceration, but the institutionalization of the mentally ill itself was was frowned upon? Right. What they started doing it was all about integration. They started taking people and putting them into like these uh, into little houses or putting them in with other people, host families, and things like that to try to integrate people like that back into society, um, which is pretty much the system we have today. Instead of having that big, you know, facility with people collected in there, you know, it, it's it's uh, more specialized and integrated today. But from what you've said so far, I mean. Sometimes people went into Old Main, but they came out. I mean, they were pronounced cured. I mean, do you have any sense of what their cure rate was or how frequently it was that somebody would then be released after being at Old Main for a while? Well, when I looked at the uh, the records from the uh, 19th century, it wasn't very many people, believe it or not, but there were some that got out. Um, I would say it wasn't a great success rate, but before Old Main, there was no such thing as getting let back out into society. And it was interesting because some of the things I read, people like they would put women in there for postpartum depression. They would have a child, and and they would be depressed, and they would be put in there. And then when their postpartum depression ceased, they were released. And uh, interestingly enough, you only needed two people to sign, uh, two doctors, to put you in there. So... Let's say you're out in Erie County near Buffalo at the time, and you have two doctors that say, well, they, this gentleman needs to be placed in that asylum. Then they would uh, pretty much chain you up and train you out here or bring you by wagon. It was interesting because I read that Dr. Brigham and Dr. Gray did this. When people would be delivered to be um, committed to the lunatic asylum, they would be in chains, and they would personally come out the front door and down the steps and take the chains off these people. They would not allow the chains into their facility. Say an interesting side, too, with the moral treatment was the fact that they had uh, a farm, a working farm, right on, uh, right on the property. Uh, they, did all, they raised their own fruits and vegetables. Uh, they had cows. 
Um, a lot of the food they did, they used in their own kitchens. Um, a lot of the people there made different goods. Like they had a group of ladies that would make products and they would have fairs and sell the goods. And all the money they would make from that, they would use to buy improvements. Like they had a very big library. Um, and the opal is something that's really fascinating. If, if your listeners want to Google that and just read about it, it the most interesting thing uh, I ever read about. The, was That was their magazine? or Yes. What, what the Opal was now, it only ran for about 10 years, uh, but what it was was it was a, a, a periodical or a monthly that was written, designed, layout, printed, sold uh, by the patients, and they would solicit ads from the local merchants who would buy ads in there, and then they would sell it for a dollar a year, the subscription, and they got up to 3,000 subscriptions, which is amazing. And... I've read all of them because they're hard to find, but you can read them uh, through, like, um, historical societies. A lot of libraries around here have some of the issues. It's just fascinating. It's got everything from poems to stories to little anecdotes, and it's just really interesting. But it was all done by the patients, and it was very successful. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they ended the run of it, but it's just interesting. that, And that was one of the occupations of the people that were uh, mentally insane in there that they could work in the print shop. They could lay out type text. They could do all that. And uh, just very fascinating. And the word is opal. You mean as in the semi or the precious stone, O-P? Right. O-P-A-L. And it's interesting. When you see the their, their issues, always had uh, a drawn caricature of Pinnell on the front cover. So they looked as their, you know, I don't want to say patron saint, but someone they admired because he started the moral treatment of people that had their afflictions. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one confusion, I think, for, for some of us, this facility was in Utica. I mean, you've said that several, right? I mean, actually within the city limits right. of Utica, Old Maine. Right. Yep. Now, but and, uh, there's what, another facility that, that's still in use up there that's part of the, of the prison network, right, that treats mental illness. That's the Marcy Correctional Facility? Correct. I think they refer to it now as the Mohawk Valley Psychiatric Center. Actually, still on the old main campus, they have uh, what's referred to as Pinefield, which is a, a facility for uh, adolescents that are having mental issues. But also there's the criminally insane uh, up at Marcy Psych Center. So there's still remnants of the old system around. Um, the big thing now is what, what are they going to do with the old main building? I mean, the, the, it's on the natural, national list of historic places, and nobody wants to see it torn down. Right now on the first floor, there's a little operation in there uh, for the state of New York. They, they hold records there. Uh, mm-hmm. But the rest of it really is kind of unsafe. It needs asbestos, asbestos abatement. Uh, they're trying to decide what the, should they do with the, uh, the structure. But, I mean, once you tear these beautiful old buildings down, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, in our day and age, we can't afford them. We never would build these uh, buildings. And no, the, the interesting thing about Old Main was the original building was 550 foot long by 50 feet deep, but that portico, it had the eight foot diameter columns that were 48 feet high. And you look at these and you marvel them because they were carved by pieces. Now, the limestone they used to build that place, they got uh, out of a quarry in Stittville, New York, that they brought down by horse and buggy. And then... Mm-hmm a quarry in Little Falls, which they would bring up on the Erie Canal. And you look at just one of these chunks of limestone. They're huge. I mean, you think the ingenuity and the hard work of these people to, to be able to build such a structure without the luxury of the modern 
devices we have today for building. Mm. Yes, I mean, building such a grand structure if, for this purpose, or, I mean, uh, as you say, it probably wouldn't be done today. I mean, uh, maybe comparing it to what they're doing at uh, up in Marcy or, or any place where they build state buildings, they have a certain look to them, but they, uh, this is uh, almost like a Greek temple from the way you describe it. Yeah, it's interesting because the building itself, want, they wanted it to reflect the moral treatment. It was the building itself, the look of it. Uh, they wanted it to look beautiful, almost utopian-like. And then on top of that was the lavish gardens that, and landscaping that surrounded Old Main. They brought in Andrew Jackson Downing, who is the father of modern landscaping, I think, I want to say. He, he, he designed it in what they referred to as picturesque Gothic look to it. They had gardens and walkways, and that was part of the treatment that you could walk around because they did have a big fence around the asylum. But interestingly enough, from what I read in the state record, they were saying they built the fence because they were trying to keep the wild animals from coming in and eating their garden and the local boys from coming in and trying to talk to the women. Uh, Not necessarily uh. to keep the asylum patients from escaping. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, um, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I mean, how many um, patients did it hold at a given time? I believe that first year, when it when it reached capacity, um, it was about 1,125 patients in 1902. That first year, um, in 1843, they had 276 patients, but they had just a front building. Then eventually they built wings on it. And it was interesting because they had the women on one side and the men on the other. And they really didn't interact other except for, like, church services or if somebody came to uh, visit. For instance, the president of the United States, uh, Fillmore, actually stopped there briefly at one time. Um, even the entire New York State legislature came up for a visit to see because, you know, they appropriated a lot of money. So it was interesting that in the 1850s, now imagine that today. The entire, all the senators and legislators and their wives and their staff all came up and spent the day at the asylum. And what they did was they ate with the patients in the dining hall, of which the food was prepared by the patients, okay? Mm -hmm. Then they all go and they have church service together. And some of the leaders of the legislature got up and spoke. And I've read some of their speeches about it. I mean, they were very, very proud to have gave the money to build the place, and they were just in awe of it, you know? I mean, think about how people were treated before this. People thought you were possessed by the devil. Uh, you were worshiping, you know, the moon uh, affected your brain. That's where lunatic come from, comes from, you know, the, the Latin phrase luna. Uh, and, and just very, very poor treatment, you know, and it was just such a big improvement. Fascinating story. Our guest is Dennis Webster. His book, Old Maine, New York State Lunatic Asylum in Utica, New York, published by North Country Books. Book's been out for a little while. I've, uh, you know, searching on, on Google, I see that you've uh, written an op-ed, for example, up in the Utica paper. What um, reaction are you getting to the book, Dennis? Well, people like it so far. It's actually the first ever comprehensive book on Old Maine. Um, there was a book that, that uh, came out called Madhouse, and in that book there's a bunch of New York State asylums in it, including Willard, but Utica only gets about 10 pages in that book, which is nice, but this, this, was, this was something that I, you know, a labor of love. It probably took me over a year to do the research, over a year to do the writing, but I did the best I could 
to try to make it comprehensive from the day it opened to the day it closed. Um, and I tried to get the most difficult part of it, believe it or not, was getting information on each individual superintendent that ran the facility. Some I was able to find a plethora of information like Dr. Gray and Dr. Brigham and others I could find nothing. So that that's the frustrating, difficult part, as you know, as a researcher and a writer. Yeah, and I mean, is it your hope I, uh, that you know this book might uh, convince people the, of the importance of preserving the the building, or or has, has anybody come forward to, to you uh, since you wrote this, uh, or, or to say, well, gee, maybe we could do such and so with this uh, with this old and beautiful but hard to maintain building. Well, I do know that uh, Assemblyman Anthony Brindisi uh, out of Utica uh, put together a committee uh, of local um, people uh, trying to come up with ideas on how to save this building and what purpose they could use the building for. They've been throwing things around, like everything from a museum to maybe refurbishing it and leasing out spaces in it for other not-for-profits. All I know is the, the, the people in this area want that building saved. They do not want it torn down. Um, people are very fond and proud of it. Um, I mean, it's the interesting thing too, Bob, is do you realize that in the 1850s that that was the number one tourist destination in America? Really? They got over 2,700 visitors a year. It was very important for them to show off the facility. It was amazing when I read all this information. Like, people would come because they wanted to try to debunk, you know, the, the stigma of mental illness. And they wanted this, you know, plus the fact that it cost a staggering amount of money uh, at the time to build it. They wanted the taxpayers to see what they were getting their money's worth. But after a while, after about a decade or so, they ended it because they started to feel like it was a spectacle. The, the residents in there, the patients started feeling like they were on display. Um, but in, for a while, it, 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 the amount of visitors in there was just unbelievable. Mm. And um, well, a couple of questions. Do you, why is it called Old Main? And it's Maine, like Main Street, right? I think that that's just a, an endearing term that, that came about by employees uh, of the facility that worked there. Um, it was never officially called that, but everybody that around in, the, at least in central New York, this huge area, they all refer to it as Old Maine. So when I put that on the book, I knew everyone would know. If you say, hey, have you seen Old Maine? Everybody knows it. If I say, do you know the Lunatic Asylum? They look at me, uh. you know, because... Well, I, I call it that because that was the original name, but in 1890 they changed it to Utica State Hospital because then lunatics started having a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And then in 1974 they changed it to Utica Psychiatric Center, but everybody refers to it as Old Main. Mm. And, and much of its history was before the advent of uh, these uh, drugs that are used to, to treat mental illness. Yeah, correct. Uh, it's, it's interesting to read. Uh, you know, like I said, um, I... You know, at the time, you know, when people look back at some of the practices, the Utica crib, lobotomies, electroshock therapy, um, things like that, certain restraining devices, you know, I think, you know, in a snapshot in history, 100 years from now, when you and I, you know, and Dave aren't around anymore, what are people going to look back at and think, I cannot believe that they did that to people back in the early 21st century, Right. They, we right. may be doing something now, like let's say um, um, radiation for cancer. They may cure cancer long after we're dead, and they may say, oh, wow, I can't believe that they subjected people to that. But yeah. at the time, they're doing the best that they could with the information that they have, you know. So, so 
Say, I would say the same with the drugs. I mean, they're try, they try different things that they think can chemically restrain people. But, but now I wonder if people are kind of getting away from that kind of thing, if they can. If they try to do things more naturally, more holistic, if they can. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Dennis, we're, we're just about out of time. Dennis Webster is author of Old Main, New York State Lunatic Asylum in Utica, New York. It's published by North Country Books. And, uh, Dennis, you said it's available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon? Correct. You can get it on. You can go to a Barnes & Noble store, or you can get it at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. And if you're in the Utica area, I've got it at the Oneida County Historical Society, which I see your book's in there, uh, Bob. Okay. Well, wonderful that's, Mohawk that's Valley books. Uh, well, again, Dennis Webster, I, I thank you very much uh, for joining us on uh, this episode of The Historians. Uh, author Dennis Webster uh, from the Utica area in uh, the Mohawk Valley in central New York. Have a good day, Dennis. You too. A pleasure speaking with you.